we have reached a point in these last couple of days where uh, I'm saying that it was in the last 12 hours, but it, it was probably in the last couple of days for sure, in which the uh, over will, will totally smash the framework and it'll just go floating about and drift off. And we're gonna have to clean it up. I'm very pleased now because we've reached the tipping point and the lies are starting to fall off. And we will get into 2,780 years of knowledge. And in that course of that knowledge, we will discover our own true human history. They know that the social order has changed and that they know that the, uh, that the devolution is in progress, that the Biden and all of those people that put him into power are on, the, on their way out and the media fear the retribution that is coming to them. Before we get into the show, I want to share with you the Z-Stack, a powerful immunity-building vitamin pack formulated by Dr. Zelenko, the founder of the Zelenko Protocol. Many of you may have seen my interview with Dr. Zelenko explaining how the combination of quercetin and vitamin C together is a powerful zinc ionophore gun which delivers zinc, the bullet, into the cell where the virus is. Zinc blocks the virus from getting into the cell. Corsetin and vitamin C together are a safe over-the-counter alternative to hydroxychloroquine. Access to this is needed when government restricts and bans effective treatments. Also, it has been established that high normal levels of vitamin D is important for warding off sickness and staying out of the hospital. With the dangers of the COVID shot, we need a strong immune system to keep from getting sick. The danger is getting sick. That's when the effects of the bioweapon shot takes over. The Z-Stack will provide you with a defensive weapon to fight a potential virus. You can see the studies and also buy yours today at the link below or at sarahwestall.com under shop. I also highly recommend C60 gel caps, daily zeolite detox, and my probiotic greens to maintain a healthy body, all of which you can get at my shop at sarahwestall.com under shop. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Cliff Highback. I haven't had him here for a while and he's just so fascinating to talk to and to discuss. Now we're going to get into some dark things. We're going to get into history. We're going to get into what's going on now. We just talk. It's like a two and a half hour long talk and we get into so many things and you know, he goes, I, I, he, I don't think he has any. He just went there on everything and I, I got to say in the we don't know what the truth is about things. And basically what I like about him, and this is what I said at the end pretty much, is just the fact of getting yourself into a different mental state, to think about things different, to get out of the box and to be able to mentally get creative. Even, you know, his conclusions, even if it, and he even says this, my conclusions might not be right, but the fact is it's just to look at different things and to just, because that's what we're gonna have to do. We're going through some really hard times and we're gonna have to rethink things, get creative, do things differently. And that means allowing your mind to think differently. And that's why it was just such a refreshing conversation. Um, to t and then he gets into things that, you know, you just normally don't talk to people about, so it's always very fun. So I hope you enjoy this. It's uh, gonna be quite long. I, I think I'm gonna split it up because it's, so, it's too hard for me to upload and to manage. And so people who don't like it when I separate them, it's because I can't, I just, I can't do it as one it, with my internet and with my setup. And so it works better for me to get it into multiple parts. So 
I also want to remind you before we get into this, I am determined to save as many lives as possible. I, if you have not seen my show with Dr. Joe on Dr. Joe Newsma on solutions, proven solutions to save your life, even if you've gotten the mRNA shot, you, it's not hopeless. There's hope. I believe we're going to be able to turn this around. We're going to be able to save some lives. Just make sure you don't get sick. And there's so many brilliant people working on ways to reverse the damage from these vaccines. Um, I know we're not going to be able to save everybody, but we're going to be able to save some. And so have hope, have, you know, know that there's those of us who care so much about you that we want you to stick around and please look at some of the quercetin and the zinc. Zinc is the key. That's why ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine can work. You need to look at the disease stack is what I've been promoting because it has that zinc. It has quercetin and vitamin C and it gets into your cell, gets the zinc into your cell, just like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin does. Vitamin or C60 is what's so powerful about that is it works hundreds of times better than vitamin C and it deals with the inflammation. It deals with um, your body being able to deal with the, the free radicals. And so it clears that up so that your body can heal. It's the combination of the Z-Stack and the C60 that I think is so incredibly powerful. The Z-Stack also has those high, level, high levels of vitamin D. So please look at, watch that show. And worst case, at least look at the resource document that I put together with Dr. Joe on solutions. And I have links on my front page so you can go see that and you can figure out how to keep yourself safe, how to keep your loved ones. I know that a lot of us, all of us have loved ones who have gotten the shot. And so the best option for you is to not get sick. And so look at that and um, there's solutions for you there. So one more last thing. I also have uh, some new shows up for sarahwestall.tv and Ebonair. I have Zach Voorhees. I put him up there as an exclusive and I want to let you know that he has a new book out on Google and on how they are using their technology to manipulate us. I'm going to have the link to that below so that you can get a copy of that book. There's so much to learn there. He had the inside, he was a whistleblower, he knows what happened at Google and how they're specifically and why they're doing what they're doing. So uh, it's a great book, especially with holidays coming up. It'd be a great book for people. Anyways, let's get into my long chat with Cliff High. Hi, Cliff. Welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here, especially at this time. Oh, I'm so excited to have you back. I have been binging on your shows and it's been, I, like I told you in the email, it's been therapeutic for me because you're looking at things from a big picture. And because if I look at trees, I get anxious, but if I can look at the bigger picture, I feel I just, that's what I need to have sanity. So you've been, um, you've been kind of providing that for me. So I thank you for that. But let's get into it. First of all, what the heck is woo? People want to know what is, because all your shows are based on woo. So what is that? Um, okay, so we can look at it a number of ways. It is not, a, is not a simply an idea. It is a, uh, an attempt to describe something that exists in our reality that is almost indescribable. So it is almost, it is very close to the Tao. And I think the Tao actually is part of the Wu. It is a small part that they identified. But the Tao or the Wu is everything that is not um, present to our senses. 
okay? Those things we deny in our minds, those things that are hidden by our minds, those things that are hidden by our senses, those things that others would hide through obscuring our thinking, okay? So uh, anything that, that the powers that be want to obscure from you is woo. The fact that they are obscuring it from you is woo, right? We live in, in woo. Now, that's one way to look at it as sort of this abstract, um, sort of quasi-morphous, vague kind of a thing. There's an, other ways to look at it. Uh, I, there's only been two models ever proposed for universe. One is quantum mechanics, which I believe is flawed, and the other is the ether. The ether predates quantum mechanics and actually has atomism and quantum mechanics as a small subset of it. Sure. And that, yep. that, that etheric perspective dates back thousands of years, right? And that, that perspective says there is consciousness, and on consciousness is supported the ether by consciousness. Now, you can call consciousness God, Allah, anything you want. But as far as we're concerned in this discussion, it is actually consciousness, right? And so consciousness supports the ether. On the ether is the field. Within the field is the materium, this place where matter exists, our bodies are, and in which all of universe is. And Wu is right on the other side of universe. And universe is described, it is, it is delineated as the sum total of every human's experience in life. So is in that the, all through it, history? All through history, all in, in perpetuity. And so universe is described that way. So universe does not include the thinking of aliens unless it intrudes on the thinking of humans. So universe we just describe here is precisely from a human perspective. Okay, but it is, it, it is a remarkable concept because it means that all humans are equal in their, whether you live two minutes and die or whether you live a hundred years and contribute and die, all human experience is equal because it is the sum total of all of our experience over time that makes up universe. Bearing in mind as a woo person, I know I'm reincarnated. So I will throw many, 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 many lives into the sum total of, of universe. And so every person's experience, every person's suffering, joys, et cetera, are equal in their contribution to universe. Very nice, right? This is a very even playing field. And so it is universe and Wu are like right there. Okay, so universe runs up to Wu and we subsist in Wu. Other people have created a framework, a narrative that they present to us as reality. That is not Wu. That is constructed and it's trying to block out all of the Wu that would otherwise inform our uh, decisions. So as a Wu person, I can go into a room and I recognize that I am a Sigma male. As a Sigma male, I have sensory apparatus. I have energy bodies that extend out many, many, many feet. And I can tell instantly if there's another male in that room or female that threatens me. I can also tell as a Wu person that that person is lying without hearing their words because of how they look, the aura around them and, and the intent. Feel it. I, correct, it is a perception. I, feeling is a weird word, okay? I hate to use it because we have, a, we have three minds. We have a body mind and you know your body mind when you hit your, your, a hammer on your toe because all of your consciousness rushes right to that toe. That's body mind, okay? Desire mind is 
obviously desire mind. And then we have feeling mind. Feeling mind is not emotions. Feeling mind is sensory perception. Uh, women have an exquisite um, uh, perceptibility of feeling. Men have an exquisite perceptibility of desire. All right, and that's why we compliment. Now, feeling is, is many times confused with the more gross form of sensory perception. So I just don't like using the word, but they, you are correct. They bastardized the word into being something that is irrational versus just right. part of our being. And that's correct. And so many, many, many years ago uh, on the path into this work, uh, when I was getting ready to start the, or to get the idea for the algorithm, I went through an enlightenment experience, which was, you know, the blinding white flash, seeing your universal body, yeah. total loss of time, you know, you're just drenched in sweat, and, and uh, this stuff just oozes out of you, and you don't know what's going on. And uh, subsequent to that, I've had a very difficult time using or accepting inappropriate words applied to things. And so it is true, and I've run across this before, that one of the first things that happens to people after they have an enlightenment experience is that they must use the proper names for things. It's just, you have to do it, right? You just cannot help yourself. And so language matters in a way that is really crucial. And as the person I am, as a linguist, because I've made my living for 30 plus years, 40 years as a linguist with computers or with humans. And um, uh, as a linguist, I'm very pleased now because we've reached the tipping point and the lies are starting to fall off. And we will get into 2,780 years of knowledge. And in that course of that knowledge, we will discover our own true human history, the much more of the history of universe than ha that has been heard from us. But Beyond all of that, the single greatest thing is that we will have a tendency to concentrate on perfecting communication for accuracy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I know that when I did a lot of data modeling back in the day where I had to, I, I managed kind of broad um, computer systems, right, and for telecommunications. And one of the big stumbling blocks was everybody had a different definition for a single word. And you had to get to what a common definition on a word before you could actually design it properly. Correct. And so, yeah, and I learned that even basic words and so much of our arguing and so much of our confusion is because we disagree on basic words and the meanings. It's the ambiguity and it is actually not a mental thing. Okay. It is a, I've studied this for years and years. It is an emotional thing. It strikes us when we go into puberty. And what happens to us is that we get into puberty and our parents are just so lame. They're just such numb nuts. They their are. Language, <laughs> I know. I know. And, their, and their language just does not suit us. And so I have this emotion and no, their word does not make sense for my emotion. So I have a word and then I attach my emotion to that and I'm slanging, right? And so slang is something that comes up with children. It, they have a brief burst of it from say age uh, three to five or six. It'll fade off for a couple of years. Once they start getting socialized, then they have group slanging, say from eight to 11. And then they start getting into puberty and it gets really serious because they have that emotional impact to put to those words. So they actually will take old words or create new words and they will attach emotional 
meaning to it. And this is the disconnect with old people because old people will hear these sounds, but they have no way of knowing what is the emotional attachment to that sound. And, you know, so you can come on up and have some guys say, no, um, you know, uh, you can't, you can't sass me. I can't, I can't have you sass me. And, and you're going to say, what? You know, is, 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 so you see the, the point, you have no way of knowing a connection there. And so it is the ambiguity of language, but it is driven by our emotions. Now, I actually found a way around it in doing my uh, predictive linguistics by not concentrating on the uh, definition, the, the definition of the word I described, I started going to words as descriptors. So words were within descriptors, of human emotion. Once you start looking at it that way, then you find that, that uh, yes, languages are related um, uh, graphically and phonetically uh, and evolutionarily, and, but across languages throughout all human culture, you can find that every language will have a cluster of words that will represent this, this class of emotions, another cluster that represents this class of emotions. So if you were to like, go to uh, Pilchuk's uh, Wheel of Emotion. He was a sociologist out of, um, I think he's Polish, but uh, out of like the 70s or 80s. And he put together this thing of a wheel of emotions. I altered it for my own purpose and used that as the basis for my emotional uh, reduction engine. But you can lay out all of the emotions that humans can have, and then you can start describing them in detail. And you will then be able to, once you've got that descriptor support for each of the emotions, you can take those words in your language, and you will find correspondence in other languages. And so you can translate words emotionally rather than through meaning. And that's how you get at the stuff that I get at. Makes sense? Well, is it? Yeah. And is it all thought or all emotion? Or is it kind of thoughts too? Or is a thought an emotion? Okay, so we do not have thoughts absent emotion. We do not have movement absent emotion. Now here's how the body, okay, so we have a desire mind and a feeling mind that are normally pretty well joined, right? And then we have a body mind that just sort of hangs out there. And occasionally they all fuse. But in our feeling and desire, from which our emotions, emotions emerge, those are body prompts. And so the body mind is actually the driver of everything. And so absent an emotion, I won't get up out of this chair or I won't make my mouth move sense. and talk to you, right? Okay, I have to have an emotive nature. Now, humans are matter. We are, we're coarse condensates of energy that is clustered together into a subsection of the field controlled by a subsection of consciousness. So my subsection of consciousness is controlling this subsection of the field in which my body is. And that matter is being moved by what we can call prana, ki, chi, spirit, whatever, uh, you know, anime, whatever you want to uh, put word put on it. But it is that energy that comes from consciousness that puts us together here and makes that matter move. But that energy responds to the matter in a feedback loop. And that's what causes emotions because emotions are chemical, they're biochemical, but at some point they translate into the abstraction, which is not an abstraction, but it is a, per, a permutation of consciousness that we call thought. And so thought is dangerous. As the ancients would, would tell you, you know, someone wandering in from a foreign land that had weird thoughts was put to death. 
because thoughts could pollute the social order, right? Thoughts are powerful, much more powerful because it's energy coming into the matter as opposed to energy coming from the matter outward. And so the, the thoughts that come into you are really dangerous, uh, if you, especially if you do not have a, a society structured to examine and then decide to accept new thoughts, right? Well, and that's what we're dealing with right now. That phenomenon right. is the core because they're trying to keep those new thoughts out and we're trying to bring those new thoughts in or we're trying to put those thoughts out. I mean, I don't know how that- Both, it's, it's simultaneous. You can't yeah. be one without the other. You must do that, right? And so this is, this is why I always follow this thing called first principles thinking in which you get a real solid chunk of something that you can hang on to in terms of your thinking and you build on it from there. And you can take these first principles thinking um, efforts all uh, in huge levels. I mean, fantastic amounts of this, 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 kind of like- uh, A framework. Exactly. It's a, it's a computer framework in a sense for your, for your own thinking. And the beauty of it is that if you discover you've made a mistake, you can simply backtrack to the point that the error crept into your thinking, pick up from there and correct. And you don't have to go all the way back. So as a thinker, I don't have to abandon all of my core principles when one of them is proved to be wrong in the changing circumstances. As a first principles thinker, I recognize that I live here where materium is, is the place of change. Okay. Okay. You, re, you reset up your framework, and, and I, I always see it as a cloud, like, like I have a framework, and then outside that framework is this big cloud mess, and that, that cloud kind of dissipates. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so there you go. The thinking is where you have gelled a certain part of the woo that you feel comfortable with. This is your little bit of woo soup that you feel comfortable with. On the outside of that is the woo that is out there, and that's unknown. Woo is all about discovery. Mm -hmm. And discovery only lasts as long as it lasts, because you can discover something and then almost immediately discover something that invalidates what you just discovered. Discovery is not meaning that it is truth or that it is um, uh, valid or, or perpetual or worth looking at. It just means that you've found it, you can analyze it, and then you can go on from there. So this is the weird part for everybody now. So our social order is breaking down. The reason it is breaking down is because the woo is intruding through the framework because the framework was built of lies. And initially, initially it had been built solid. And then eventually all the wood in the framework rotted and it was placed with this ersatz paper and paper mache. It was like tofu construction in China where it's not really cement. You're not really sure what that stuff is, but it's crumbling underneath you anyway. And so we're at that point where the framework had been eroded by all of the lies and now the lies can't stitch it together anymore. There's no there there. And so they are crumbling. We're, we have reached a point in these last couple of days where uh, I'm saying that it was in the last 12 hours, but it, it was probably in the last couple of days for sure, in which the uh, over will, will totally smash the framework and it'll just go floating about and drift off. And we're gonna have to clean it up. And um, um, the normies, the normal population is now going to be put into this position of having no perceptual anchors. And so this is going to be a very dangerous period of time. I do not think it will be uh, turned the way that uh, the same period uh, 100 years ago was turned and they made Germany into uh, the Nazi state. I think that in fact, 
those people that made Germany into the Nazi state and got us into the war, the Prescott Bushes that were financing Germany from the United States and the uh, complicit senators and all of that, all of those kind of people, I think, are, are in the process of being uh, thrown out of the social order, out of, of participating in the social order as a direct result of our entering into the age of Aquarius. And I'm taking as the entry point December 28th when we had this grand conjunction and all the planets moved over onto the same side of the, the um, cone that we follow in behind the sun. And so that all of our energies, all of our mass, everything was concentrated in this one area. And so it changed everything. That was the real tipping point. We small humans are just now experiencing the tipping point created by Saturn and Jupiter, right? That kind of thing. And so our, um, our world is is upending and the poor normies are being cast adrift. The problem at this point is that without leadership, the normies will not, um, or the normies will, will gravitate to any leadership, uh, good mm -hmm. or bad, right? But the good part is that the Oberwu is showing the, um, uh, the perpetrators of the lie, the builders of the false framework for who they are. And we're seeing, we're seeing evidence of that now. Look at how uh, the mainstream media has turned on Biden, okay? It's not just that he screwed up, right? There was another subtle twist in there. If you listen to the language that the individual people are using when they're out there getting on his case, where before, you know, Biden could do no wrong, right? Um, the words they're using are betraying a level of personal fear. They sniff the change in the wind they know that the social order has changed and that they know that the, uh, that the devolution is in progress, that the Biden and all of those people that put him into power are on, the, on their way out and the media fear the retribution that is coming to them. They're trying to save their butt is what they're trying to do. Many of them will hang. Okay, I hope look, so. Well, look at this. Um, look at the people don't understand how well, okay, so most individuals don't have first principles thinking and working for them, and so they won't examine an idea really thoroughly. They'll just get a, a hint of it, the headline issue, right? And so a headline is, uh, Durham is investigating Russiagate. And so he's investigating, and you read, and he's investigating some Politico guys that uh, probably put together this um, uh, devious thing to get at their political enemy, uh, one Donald Trump. And so the Durham's investigating this, and, and, but people just don't quite understand that when they say he's investigating the Russia gate, that the media are culpable. Individuals within the yeah. media are culpable, and they will go down for it. They are being investigated, as well as the political people that they had all those ties to. And I'm of the opinion that within the last few days, an, an idea dawned, piece of information was handed out, because there are certain individuals that are really scrambling now. And they've totally changed their language. They've gone into CYA mode and uh, it will get a lot worse. And this is a very predictable milestone in a um, progression that once begun can't be stopped. And we're in it already, so it won't be stopped. Uh, so this is truly a fantastic time because for the Wu guys, right? Because my, my whole thing was, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm alive now because I have skills that 
that will be able to um, aid me in pouring through the, the woo, searching for our hu uh, true human history and the history of this planet. This information will be coming out now that the framework, the paradigm is falling away because that paradigm not only directed our attention over here and held it within this box, it was deliberately set up to obscure from us stuff that's out there in the woo that's direct to us. So I'm, I'm fascinated about all the stuff that's hidden from us about Antarctica. And I'm fascinated about all the stuff under the bottom of the ocean that's hidden and so on. And all of this kind of stuff is coming out. And Tartaria. Tartaria. Exactly. How, could, how could there be a huge empire just a few hundred years ago, according to the maps and stuff, and it not have relevance to us today? Something is really odd there. And I've heard multiple things on it. And I, I'm not sure if I believe some of the things that are coming out on it, like, like they were like they were purposely hidden to Terry because they wanted because they corrupted it and wanted to keep it. I heard some like weird things. Yeah. I kind of think they're doing what they're doing to us right now. Like they destroyed that empire and then they covered it up. Kind of like what I think they're trying to do what they did to Tataria to us. And maybe I'm wrong. That's just a gut I have. I have no proof. That's, this is the thing. Okay. So in the woo, you don't have a whole lot of solid stuff to stand on. Okay. So, and you're going to run into lots of interpretations that are inaccurate because of that. So we can't, so you have to say, okay, there's evidence and that's this building. That's this old map. Here's some documentation. And then there's everybody's opinions on that evidence and all their conclusions. So if it sounds like a conclusion, I'm throwing it away at this stage and I'm just looking at the evidence. Yeah. So, and so you can also, and so what I like to do is say, okay, we've got buildings. We've got buildings that are covered in mud. We've got some old map fragments. Now, is there anything else out in our current uh, society life now that would support that? And so I go out and I look around and curiously or expectedly there is. Okay, so we have the, the empire of Tataria and do we have remnants of that empire in the peoples? Yes, we do because we have the Tartars, we have the Caucasus peoples, okay? And the Tartars and the Caucasus peoples uh, had a particular history, okay? And so what is revealed if you go deep enough into the Tartars and the Caucasus peoples, also called the Cossacks, okay? If you look into that, that you're not supposed to talk about the Cossacks, it was done away with in the Bolshevik revolution. Why was this? Because if you concentrate on the Cossacks, you find out that the last uh, or that the officialdom of the area, which was the Russian czars, used the Cossacks to do what? Destroy the last of the giants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they destroyed the giants. I heard that. That, yep. that, yeah. that yeah, so we're... And they actually, they're in... Okay, so now if you go back to pre- Russian Revolution, and you root around in the, the documentation and stuff, you will find descriptions and drawings because they the, it was back into the 18, I want to say 1880s or 1890s, you will find drawings of Cossacks bringing caged giants to the czar. Isn't okay. that crazy? There's newspaper clippings from here with giants and bones and things. Right. And actually, here's something else. I had a relative in the Depression that was working, got his job through a, a 
a casual association with somebody that was a Freemason. And he made a dollar a day going out in terrible conditions and heaving giant sacks of bones, huge sacks of bones off into the ocean out of ships off the coast of California. And these were the bones of giants. These, these sacks would have one or two femur bones in them and it would take eight and 10 people to lift them up and heave them over the side. And that's wow. all they did all day, all day long was to heave this stuff in, over to the side into the ocean because this was found in California. And the, as the Mason said, it could not be there. So now was Tataria a brutal regime or was it uh, just, the, a, go ahead. So, so I go and I look into what I know of in the way of records from uh, the Byzantine Empire, okay? Because the Byzantine Empire rubbed shoulders throughout the entire period of time for like 1140 years. Uh, so they were the longest lived uh, modern day empire around. Um, and their records would seem to indicate that Tartaria was a remnant when they were growing up, so to speak. All right, so the records that we have about um, Tartaria are, as an empire are so, so um, minuscule and probably so deliberately uh, destroyed and hidden that we have no real way of knowing what was going on there. We have to assume that their ethos is not ours, just like in you know, Justinian's time or any of these other times. Uh, they don't have the same kind of ethos as ours. So to apply the word of brutal would be a conclusion, right? We don't know, but we do know they were extensive. They were rich. They, they were into some serious mining. They had some interesting building techniques that they got from somebody else because there was, they just, um, uh, there was no sign of evolution of these techniques. They, it just suddenly started in their, in their construction. Uh, we know that there's, um, social order people that have a remnant of a Tartarian history, uh, just the way that we have Chinese now that are in essence the remnant of ancient Chinese empires, right? Uh, we have uh, the Mesoamericans, the Mexicans are the remnants of the ancient Aztec empire, that sort of a thing. So, so there is evidence for it. Why it should be obscured is a very interesting question indeed. Well, and is that why there's the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages? Is because okay, now, there, there's something behind that. There is more no, there. Go ahead. Right. That's the, that's the Anatoly Fomenko. Okay. So there's this Russian guy. And this Russian guy is very educated. He's a mathematician. And he says, shit don't make sense. He said, you know, we can't, there, that shit just does not make sense in history. And so he set about this huge effort. And lots of people came to him. And uh, they've been building on it. It's an international effort. And they have discovered that if you were to look at king lists, right, who inherited the country from who and was the king for how long and so on, there are duplicates of king lists. Names are almost even the same. And so uh, 1,200 years of history and all these kings here is basically repeated here for the next section. So he thinks the Middle Ages did not exist. And he has evidence to prove that the people we think of as running around in um, the little, like the, the, from Hollywood, the funny little Roman skirts and stuff, mm -hmm. you know, the, the gladiators with their short swords and the little skirts and their tunics and stuff didn't happen. Okay. If you actually look at the, at the representation of most of the Roman empire, they were dressed in what we think of as medieval garb. Okay. So there's this 800 years, 900 years of history doesn't exist. It was put in there. The reason it was put in there is because of this weird thing about humans. We don't want someone else to have an, a one-up on us. 
And so this Anatoly Fomenko, and he's a brilliant researcher, and it comes, and I'm going to just encapsulate his conclusion into one kind of pithy little saying, and that is that one day a white guy ran into some Chinese fellows, and the Chinese fellows said, our empire is 600 or 6,000 years old. And, uh, and the white guy said, well, or yeah, and he says, well, my empire is 7,000 years old. And, and neither one of them were factual, right? And so at some point, it became sort of quasi-official braggadocio, and they just had to backfill the support. And they did that through the Jesuits. And the Jesuits have a history of, of altering history, okay? We know that they are the ones that have been altering history for the Catholic Church for generations. And they have multiple uh, accounts of history, and they keep them all separate so they can build on them, and they usually don't get too... Uh, trashed up in it. But so we know from uh, Anatoly's work that this particular group of Jesuits in this particular time constructed 800 years of history, which did not exist. And that's why we have the dark ages where there's no real there there. And that's why it doesn't line up with what was happening in Mesoamerica. That's why we don't have the uh, one to one court, we don't have an accurate correspondence to Columbus coming here to uh, North America and what he discovered here, because all of our history has been lies. Yeah. So, right. So did you know that the Chinese were on the West Coast when Columbus was in Hispaniola? No. Right. Chinese have been coming to California, perhaps for 1500 years intermittently. The only reason they never colonized the United States or what we think of as North America was because they were grossly out. It's a huge distance to come. The Chinese are not logistically good sailors. They only had one giant expedition of exploration ever. And since then, it was just little ones. And the, uh, the fact that we had 60 million um, uh, people living in the continent at that time. Well, and it was pretty they developed. Pretty... They, had, they had developed cities. They had all sorts of stuff. Well, here's the thing. Um, no, they didn't. Okay. Well, they, there are some, there were some cities. Oh, well, that's what I heard. I mean, maybe okay. that's bad information. That's, that we have to be careful about that because here's the thing about the North American population. These individuals, um, for whatever reason, and you can put on many different kinds of reasons, they're not technologically um, bent, right? So they just don't go there. Uh, Africans are that way. Uh, to some extent, the Hindus are that way. Uh, they, they're very inventive and so on and into technology now, but in their ancient history, uh, or not ancient history, but I mean, in the modern ancient history uh, of a few thousand years ago, they were not really out there crafting new inventions the way that uh, we see in Europe and so on. They weren't driven by the um, extremes of environment that cause you to have to alter your environment in order to survive. That's what makes you really an, an inventive person. So the people in North America didn't have the wheel. They had, they had invented the wheel, but they never applied it to anything other than toys. So oh. they didn't have chariots. They didn't have, so there you, you see the, the North American Indians pulling with their horses, pulling people on uh, basically two sticks with some blankets through it, bouncing across all this stuff. They, they didn't have wheels. They didn't build roads. They were not that oriented that way. That was not their relationship with living with the planet. And so they see that in us as a negative, right? Because our relationship of living with the planet degrades the planet in their view, because we build roads, we cut down trees and so on. The, for instance, the natives around here at that time would go on out and only harvest what they needed out of a cedar tree in a particular way. And so in order to leave that tree to grow. So they would take a particular section apart, cut out some of the wood, they would pack it back in, and then they'd put the bark around it, and the tree would recover. 
Same thing with the spruce and some of the others. So they had that kind of a relationship with the planet that uh, did not make them technological. So that the, the cities and so forth that were here, which I grant you there may be some evidence of that because there is evidence of vast civilizations were inherited by these people, not created by them. Okay, well that could have happened. And there's some facts that maybe Tartarians created it. Because the same okay. some of the same architecture that is they there. use, yes. And 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 screw the architecture because that is really an an, uh, an aesthetic, okay, which can be copied. Right? Sure. Yep. Okay, but look to the actual building techniques. Well, that's and, maybe more what. Yeah. Yeah, more pertinent. Okay, but so there there is that, and there's weirdnesses about North America. We see in the journals of the original founding fathers where they came here in their first weeks and stuff. Here they said this land has has shown evidence to us daily of having uh, been through a great catastrophe. And, uh, and they also mentioned the giant bones they found and the, and the big graveyards and no people and how the natives told them that the giants uh, used to eat humans and all of this kind of stuff. You know, Tom, or, um, Thomas Jefferson writing about uh, this sort of thing, right? And so we see those kind of, of weirdnesses. We also find um, in small boat uh, journals going back uh, hundreds of years, we find that the whole Mississippi Delta, uh, the area of Louisiana and in, all the way up through the Mississippi into the Missouri uh, conjunction, um, was riddled with stell, okay, that looked like Egyptian stell, that were not wood, they were stone, they were four-sided, they had the pyramid top, and they had four uh, faces, and they had, I think, two or three languages that were describing something that we didn't know what it was. They turned out to be navigation markers. So I know of a, I know of a journal, and I've got it around here somewhere in one of my many boxes of books. Uh, this journal has an article in it in which this uh, guy is describing his great uncle's or great grandfather's sea captain's journal, where this guy was was paid by uh, what was going to be later the Smithsonian to go, and this would have been in the um, 17. 90s in through the 1820s. So for over 30 years, this guy made a living with his his boat and his crew, and it wrote article wrote in his journal. And then this article was written about it, and he was paid to go and remove these stell from the uh, collect them and put them in his boat, haul them back to Washington D.C. Uh, from the the uh, Delta area of the Mississippi. And these stell were, by the way, one of the languages was Heratic, which is a form of Egyptian. So why do you think, I mean, so they made an effort to hide the history of North America, the true history of North America. I think the history of Antarctica is somehow tied to the history of North America. And maybe I'm wrong, but no, no, something correct. happened. And there's, and, and I also think Tataria is connected to all this stuff as well. What, I mean, because Antarctica has pyramids and you're the one that told me this pyramids that are so huge they have doors for giants which is probably this giant race that got or it's somebody else yes yeah, so, somebody yeah. else in, from somewhere or whatever or maybe it was spaceships wanted to fly in who knows right but but since then it's it's come out in through the google earth and through all of these um researchers that go and and risks uh snow blindness looking at uh, satellite photos of antarctica they found tons of stuff including things that are like 20 story spires or, or 
you know, like a 20 story needle apartment building kind of a thing sticking up out of the ice. And, wow. and, and if you go to some of these other uh, channels like Bruce sees all and mm -hmm. Mars anomalies, you'll, you'll, there's guys there that have contacts with people that have been to Antarctica that have provided them with pictures of stuff that in the distance are, those are not mountains. Those are human creations or somebody created these structures and we think of them as a mountain. And you can clearly see that it is not, that it's some kind of an artificial thing that had been built. And so Antarctica is truly amazing because in the, in the 1970s, um, there was military expeditions that were run by the U.S. Army. And within the U.S. Army, there was a subsection that, was, that had to do the work, and that was a subsection of the infantry. And my father was an um, officer in the uh, U.S. Army Infantry. And he was uh, at one point given these four eight millimeter movies and, uh, or excuse me, four 35 millimeter movies. They were, they were on small little reels though. And all we had at that time was a eight millimeter, you know, home movie camera kind of thing. And my dad had to go rent a, a, a projector and so on to show them to us. And I watched them maybe three or four times when I was a kid, I was probably, uh, the, the uh, sorry, it wasn't the, uh, the 70s, it was in the 50s. Sorry, that was in I was going to say the, the 70s. Yeah. Wow, there was I mean, more yeah. expeditions. Okay, no, 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 that makes it was sense. But I saw it, I saw it um, uh, in the 60s. I we watched those movies in six, 1968 in, um, in uh, Virginia. And in those movies, there was one long one and three small ones. And in one of them, the guy was saying, uh, it was actually had sound with him, and they had professional army PR guys that were, you know, as the, the anchor or the, the describer or whatever you want to say, the personality. And he was taking him through and he, off in the distance, you see this giant black mountain and you see these little trucks and stuff down at the base of it. There's no snow anywhere, anywhere in these films, by the way, in this one particular film. And he says, oh yeah, look at this. And he holds up this lump of coal, this lump. We don't know what it is. It's very round. It's very shaped. It's not irregular. It's very black. And he says, this is, you know, the hardest, cleanest, uh, burning or, or anthracite that can be found according to the scientists. He gives off a bunch of statistics about it. And then he says, that's what that mountain is made out of just sitting there. All you have to do is scoop it up and take it. You don't have to mine it. So there is a conical shaped mountain of coal sitting on in Antarctica. And the guy says in this movie, he says, this was in the fifties. So our population was smaller. And he said, scientists so-and-so estimates that there's enough coal in that one mountain to supply all of the United States' energy needs for the next 200 years. Wow. Okay, so I've seen some clips of Antarctica where people are swimming in hot baths and, and there's so much more there. And when they had all the, the world leaders, a bunch of world leaders went down there, right? About the time that Trump won. It was like they all met. It's almost like it's a headquarters for something. Exactly. And that was part of devolution. Okay, so, all right, so this is the, uh, this is the weird, terrible thing we're at right now. Okay, so all of the world is living in devolution. So we've had an evolutionary process uh, relative to government that's gone on for all of my life. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and growing and morphing and so on. Now we're coming into devolution. So all of government is going to disappear over these next 18 or 20 years, and we'll keep what we need and throw away the rest. This is happening because of the um, nature of that government is inimical to humans. 
in my opinion, it is easiest to just simply categorize it as being run by the mantids. And it is my opinion that there is a being, a thing that is giving instructions and people go to Antarctica to receive instructions and to have their minds altered, okay? And so these people go there specifically for that purpose. They went there after uh, around the Trump time uh, once he came into power because Trump was a pivotal wedge that disrupted the evolutionary growth of the government up to its ultimate uh, end, uh, which would have happened by uh, 2024 or so, okay? was a, a, a spoiler. He was a disruptor, uh, disruptive influence, right? A change agent is how we refer to it socially. Someone had selected Trump to be the agent of change that was necessary. They, that change was coincident with our moving into the Aquarian age. I believe that was planned. I believe that what we're experiencing now would not have happened two years ago, would not have happened five years ago because of the energies of that time, that it had to happen now and that the planners were astute enough to coincide, uh, to sync up their efforts with the uh, a slide into the age of Aquarius because of the energy that it provides all of humanity as well as their efforts. And so um, when they went down, so when Trump becomes uh, president, that totally came out of the blue. It disrupted it. They had cheated so well. They were knew they were going to win, just like they've been cheating since 2004 and so on with these machines, right? There's evidence of this. People had been discovering this evidence, and they had set these plans in motion to create a state of devolution. In devolution, the idea is that we will dissolve away functionality from the, um, those that we wish to isolate. And so we basically dissolve the government away, leaving Biden and the, uh, the other puppets up there and fully exposing the people that pull the puppet strings. And therefore, the people, the, the mass of the people of the country, of the world, can look up and see how they've been manipulated, and then they won't go along with it anymore. So this is a particular kind of a magic technique. This is a demystifying magic technique where... But the, Go I was going to say, don't you think they did it to themselves with this vaccine? Because suddenly people are going to say that's that was no, 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 that's this is so much bigger than that. That is simple. really because with people dying in mass, it's going to be I know there's all these other things, but people have to go screw you. We got to figure this out. Correct. And they will be doing that. And many people will stop at that level and exist at that level. But okay. the woo is deep. The woo is deep and is ancient. There's stuff floating out there that, that you know, we need to examine that's going to be floating up at us here. And no, this is, um, so that is just an aspect, not even really a dominating aspect. Okay, there are, this is a war. You can characterize it as a spiritual war. You can characterize it as a war against good and evil. You can characterize it as a war to liberate humanity from the globalist. You can also, in my mind, characterize it as a war to liberate humanity from uh, alien influences. The, the beings that they think are satanic, the ones that they're taking direction from that they think is their God. Correct. Correct. Okay. I think they've been duped by these other beings or some other bad guy, and they think it's God. No, I think it's... If Okay, so I don't think that these beings are consciousness. These beings are not the creators of the universe. No, no, no. The no, globalists. Okay, the, go the, ahead. The, okay, and the globalists, but the globalists believe these beings, they may indeed, some of the globalists may be so naive and stupid as to believe these beings to be the creators of the universe, right? 
Uh, but the others, I think, are just uh, are Oh, you're right, and they're sympathetically vibrating to what these beings are able to um, enhance. Okay, so here's here's the way of the of our planet. If you have an idea that is set in your mind, and you set that idea hard enough and put all of your life force behind it, you can manifest that idea. It doesn't matter what it is. It may only be able to be supported by universe because it's so weird and twisted for a brief minute, but you could do it. Right. On the other hand, if you uh, were to try and manifest something that was harmonious to universe, you're going to get a lot more support from universe in doing that. So, so, but it is the putting that thought into the matter, the condensate energy that makes it actually happen and manifest. Now, this is because we are energy. We are vibrating energy, just sitting here quivering. Our quivering is, is in syncopation, is in sync with the universe. And that quivering powers our pulse, our thoughts, um, you know, our sweat, the chemical reactions in our body, everything, our emotions, all of that is all energy, it's all frequency. These beings have the ability to see us with senses that we do not have. These senses that they have allow them to see in through our flesh, to see in through the barriers to our eyes, because we only see that is that is reflected. We can only see reflected light. These beings can see origination of light. They see the biophotonic in us. So they can see our various millions of vibrations that are in us that cord together to form our energy bodies. Well, that, and the, we have some people that can do that, like Sherry Edwards or can hear hundreds of times better. Or, I mean, there's sure, people I, that are able to do I that. Go ahead. As a result of my enlightenment, enlightenment experience, I see auras. It's just a pain in the fucking ass because I get emotional impacts from auras. It's great if I'm in an Aikido dojo. I'm very good at that because I can see the aura, which is ahead of the thought. I can react without having to have a thought because I'm reacting my aura to them. So I'm very powerful and very fast, right? Because there's no thought involved. I've been able to eliminate that process. But, but um, yes, we have people that can do that. But these beings have one I'm more. Beyond that. Them. Yeah, they, they have other capabilities. Okay, there's one other one that is key. And that is resonance. Okay, so if we were to take a clock, and it's got a pendulum, you put it on a wall, and you put another clock with a pendulum on the wall, and you set it to a different uh, set of stroke, at some point, they will become resonant, and they will both be penduluming at the they will both be swinging at the same rate. These beings have the ability to push through your energy bodies with their key, with their life force, and push on your energies until they set up a vibratory resonance that then they can draw you into them, to their to the thoughts and the grosser forms of it all. The so, negative, kind of ugly Because lore. it's easy to see, right? Okay, so it's easy for them to see that in individuals, to see that negative force, and it's easy for them to manipulate. That's why all of the sociopaths, the psychopaths, and the pedophiles are their, their victims, so to speak, right? And so vampires, energy vampires, don't go after regular people. I'm impervious to it, right? You're impervious to it. That They can't really do this kind of stuff to us. They'd freak us out and so on, and you know, but they're not going to be able to energetically motivate us the way that they do these other humans. And they have put those other humans through their manipulation over the course of centuries into positions of power to generate this, this point where we are at now. And they're in the process of 
Uh, they, they have basically been running for a couple of thousand years a human farm and they're harvesting. So the, the ones who are dying have been deluded to taking the shot by the psychopaths that have been had that resonance. So these beings through the psychopaths through resonating all the psychopaths all around the planet. Look at how it's all global. Chinese, everybody, all the governments are out trying to vax people. All the governments are controlled and they're all resonating on this same pulse. And that pulse, even though it goes through the government is still been sufficiently strong enough to get billion or more people vaccinated or dead through uh, the clot shot. And that's how it works. Yeah, and the thing that is so disturbing is so much of our family and our loved ones were duped into it, right? So we are in a situation, that's why I know you've said this is going to be a very dark time. I am just convinced that there's some positive things we can do to keep them from getting sick and to reverse it for not everybody, but for small groups, because not everybody's even going to listen to us. But right. there, there is a way to, to do some, there's sure. hope, I think. I, but, I'm not without hope. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's hope, but I think it's so disturbing because when we are talking about massive, and I think that's part of, now, do, do you think that the saline, saline solution or the, you know, the placebo was given to some of these bad guys? Because why would they kill oh, yeah. off? Because oh, yeah. they're not oh, going to yeah. kill off their own troops. Um, well, first off, the, um, the beings that are organizing it don't care. <laughs> 